The book of Acts 2.0 talking about what it means to be apostolic in the 21st century. And to do that, we're going into uh, the book of Acts going line by line. We're going to begin in verse uh, verse 1 of Acts chapter 12 tonight. And um, I know I kind of, my impa- I don't know if y'all are impatient. I'm very impatient. My impatience kicks in when I realize I'm just on chapter 12. So we're not, I'm trying to just, just slow down. And if it takes us a little bit, that's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll mix some stuff in there as the Lord wants us to. But, but we're just going to take it easy. We're not running a, a sprint here. This is a marathon. So, but I want to be done. <laughs> I'm ready to. I see about six other things I want to teach. And I'm trying to be focused. But Acts chapter 12. At this point, we've talked about the day of Pentecost. We've talked about the birth of the church, the spread of the church. Up until this point, we've seen revival not just break out in Jerusalem and among the Jews, but we also have dealt with revival among the Samaritans, and we have dealt with revival among the Gentiles. And uh, now in chapter 12, we see a very interesting thing take place. The Bible tells us, that about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Herod here is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great would have been the man, if you'll remember your Bible story, would have been the man that at the birth of Jesus sought for Jesus, sought to kill Jesus, and actually commanded that the children, the boys under two years of age, be slain in the attempt to kill the Messiah because he misunderstood Scripture. He thought he was looking for an earthly king to take his throne. The Jews were really in need of a spiritual king, the king of kings, to come in and save their soul. And so Herod now, in Acts chapter 12, is the grandson of that Herod. And yet we still see a kind of a, a bloody, bloody progression. Herod the king here is a man who loves Jewish tradition. Now, he is not so much of Jewish birth as he is Jewish by custom and by the attempt to please his subjects. Okay, It's a chosen thing for him. It wasn't something he was necessarily born into. He is a, as the king, he is more of a governor. Rome, the Caesars of Rome, hold the power. He is the governor, really, of the area, but they've given him title of king. And he is trying to uh, make political allies and friends. Uh, And so he has decided that this sect called Christianity is really dangerous. And so he's going after them in order to please the Jews. And the Bible says that he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. It's interesting to note, Luke does not spend a lot of time on this martyr. He spends a couple of chapters on Stephen's trial and Stephen's death. But he does not spend much time on, uh, in fact, just a few words that he talks about James, the brother of John. James here is the apostle we know, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. This is the same guys that Jesus got on to them when uh, he walked with them and said, and, and, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the title he gave them, but he, it translates, he called them the sons of thunder because they wanted to send fire down on the earth and, and destroy a village. And, and so this is, this is the James we're talking about. This is the James 
who, who came with mama and said, hey, can we sit on your right hand and on your left and prestige? And Jesus had to tell him, say, wait a minute. You're going to have to drink of a cup that I've drink, drank of. You, you're going to have to go through some things if you're going to be, if you're going to be number one in my kingdom. Uh, this is the same James that on the Mount of Transfiguration sees Jesus transfigured before him. And, and, and the Bible talks about them seeing Moses and, 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 and Elijah. And, and this is that James that just in a blink of an eye, Herod comes in and destroys the life of. He is the second recorded named martyr of the church. And it is such a tumultuous thing that for Herod it became a victory and for the church it became a defeat. The Bible tells us because Herod saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Herod saw the success of his political venture and decided if the Jews got a kick out of me killing James, they're going to really like it when I take Peter and destroy him. Peter, as you can tell from the preceding 11 chapters, was a, a very incredible and very valued member of the church. He was very much very important leader. He and James and John were among some of the most proficient and the most uh, uh, known leaders of the church. And so this was an attempt to not just destroy a man, but to destroy an entire work. If I can get the leaders, I can potentially destroy the entire work of Christianity. The Bible tells us that he apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. I did some studying on that today, just kind of refreshing my memory. And you know, I thought it was about 16 soldiers that were sent in there gardening. But one commentary I read said that, that really what that means is he was chained between two soldiers. There were two soldiers outside the door watching him, a total of four soldiers, and that every watch or every three hours they would rotate out for a different quaternion of soldiers or another, another set of four would come in. They would, so it was around the clock watching. It was around the clock. They were very attentive. Even though it was an overnight stay in prison, it was around the clock. They were constantly moving fresh troops in, constantly keeping him well guarded and keeping their hand on him. Okay? And the Bible says that, that this was the Passover or the, 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 the feast or the days of unleavened bread. They were getting ready for uh, the holiday, or the holy day of, of Judaism. And, and, and Herod had decided when that day comes, when the sacrifices are over, we're going to do away with this guy named Peter. And so we, we find here verse number 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. I want you to catch this. They were in a very bad situation. They had a lot of things that could go wrong. They had just lost one leader. Now they were about to potentially lose a second influential leader. But the Bible says that prayer was made without ceasing of or by the church unto God for him. They met around the clock to pray. They got serious about prayer. The church did not stage a revolt and storm the jail. The church did not hire a lawyer to uh, represent him in court. The church went to prayer. I know it sounds archaic, 
I know we think it's irrelevant or outdated, but the truth is if we're going to be apostolic in the 21st century, we must always remember that our number one weapon is prayer. Now, I'm not against all the other things I named. I'm just saying that the first thing the church ought to do is pray. I've said it. I know I've said it. You've probably said it too, and we're guilty of of the way we say it. I can't do anything else. I guess I'll just pray. All I can do is pray. Well, the good news is if that's all you can do... (laughs) It's still the best alternative than anything else. Now I know, and, 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 and I don't care if you pray 28 hours a day. I don't care. Some of y'all catch it later. The truth is we all need to pray more. Amen. We need to learn how to pray more or better or more effectively. We need to always be striving in prayer, okay? The truth is though we need to learn how to pray And not be afraid of prayer. It's not all I can do. It's the best avenue I have in getting an answer from God. So if you have a need tonight, again, I'm not trying to belittle your need. But my first suggestion is, have you prayed about it? Amen. I just saved you 14 hours of counseling. I'll send you a bill later. I'm going to just stop right here. I'm not against counseling, and I think it's very necessary. Uh, Counseling can help you work through some things. But there is a reason the elders' advice would be, a lot of times, would to go pray through. That's an old-fashioned term, but I think what they mean to say is, I want you to pray until you get out of your flesh and into the Spirit. And, and a lot of times we have problems in flesh because we act in flesh and we do dumb stuff in the flesh. I'm talking to me right now. We do dumb stuff in the flesh and we got to just learn how to pray through. Now again, I'm not. don't get me wrong. I believe in counseling. I'm, I'm, I believe in doctors and all that. I, 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 there's a place for all of that. But I need us to understand that we minimize prayer and we maximize these other tools. And the first thing that God gave us was the ability to come to Him. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And we can bring anything we have to Him in prayer. Amen. They prayed for Him. And when Herod would have brought Him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains And the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now this is the night before he is to be executed. And Peter is sound asleep in a prison cell. It's amazing that the peace of God can operate in even the most dire of circumstances. I know it's crazy. I know it's a crazy world. I know there are things that happen in our lives that are absolutely crazy. But hear me. God's peace still passes all understanding. That's why Paul would write to the church in Philippians. And Paul's writing from from house arrest in Rome when he writes this. He says, be careful. Another translation says, be anxious about nothing. But in everything, give thanks unto God. Praise and thanks unto God. And the the God of peace 
shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's why we need his peace. We, 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 we've got to have him. He is still the prince of peace. Peter understood that. He, he was sound asleep. And the Bible says, Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. A light shined in the prison. He smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. All of a sudden, Peter's asleep. Next thing you know, there's this being standing over him, beating him over the head, saying, Get up! It's time to get up, Peter. Get up! I know you're asleep. I know you think you're about to die, but I need you to get up. And when Peter arose, the Bible says the chains fell off, and the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. He said, Get dressed. So he did, and he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. He said, You got to get ready. It's time to leave. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true that what was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He goes, goes to follow this being, and he thinks he's seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second ward, they came into the iron gate that leaded unto the city, which opened unto him, unto them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through the street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Wait a minute. Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. What an incredible moment. Peter is delivered from prison in a miraculous way. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, John Mark. And there were many gathered together praying. Peter knocks on the door. And a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Peter goes to the house where he knows people are praying. He knows this is a meeting place. He knocks on the door at the gate, or the, 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 the gate of the property. And, and, and Rhoda comes to the gate and says, who's there? Can you imagine the fear that might have gripped her? Remember, there's guys like Saul that have been around and made it kind of a notorious thing that... A knock in the night, a knock on the door in the night is not really the best of things. Just like it wouldn't be that great if somebody knocked on your door in the middle of the night. And, and, and knocked on the door and she goes and asks and she recognizes Peter's voice and gets so excited she forgot to let him in. So she goes and tells somebody, hey, Peter's standing out the door. And they said, no, no, that's just, if you read on further... They said unto her, you're mad. She constantly affirmed that it was even so. And they said, it is his angel. We're not, there's a lot of talk about what that means. This is just what I think it means, what I understand. They thought this was just his spirit. We're seeing, we're seeing a spirit or you're, 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 you're seeing a vision of what you hope to be. But, but that's not Peter. It's interesting to note that they're praying, they're praying, they're continually praying. They're asking God, free Peter, make a way, do something. And Peter's knocking at the gate. I wonder how many times we pray and our answer is knocking at the door saying, just let me in. Amen. Amen. Peter continued knocking and when they had opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. That word or that guy named there, James, sounds like uh, we've got a problem because I thought James was killed at the beginning. James here is the brother of Jesus. Okay, uh, there's a lot of speculation on what that means. It appears that, jo that 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 Joseph and Mary had children after the birth of Jesus, and so this was his brother that was a part of the church. He became one of the leaders 
of the church. In fact, it is he that wrote the book of James to the church in Jerusalem. He became, if you like a better term, he became the bishop of Jerusalem. Okay, He became the general superintendent of the churches in Jerusalem. Okay, And so that was his job. And Peter's saying, go tell them that everything's okay. And the Bible says that he went and departed and went into another place. We don't know where that place was. There are many that think he went uh, to the church in Antioch, which we'll talk about here in a few verses. Some think he went to Rome at that time. Uh, there, there is history and tradition that teaches that he ends up in Rome and that's where he's martyred. But we don't know if this is where he went immediately or if there was a trip in between. But he went somewhere to be protected. And as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. And what was become of Peter? And when Herod sought to find him, he found him not. He examined the keepers, commanded that he should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. One thing I did find interesting in my study, one of the things, one of the uh, commentators stated that they're not sure if he didn't, if Peter, when he left Jerusalem, if he didn't go back to Caesarea where Cornelius was, if you remember from chapter 10. So he had contacts there that could hide him. Wouldn't it be interesting that the apostle would leave and go to Caesarea? I'm not making a doctrine. I'm just, just, I just think it's funny. That he goes back to Caesarea to Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, who should be at odds with Christianity. And he goes back and hides among them. And the next thing he knows, Herod goes to Caesarea. It's a funny, it would be funny, it would be, it would be uh, ironic to me for God to hide or make a table in the presence of the enemy. Sounds Bible, doesn't it? Psalm 23. Herod was highly displeased of them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to them, having made uh, Belicious, I don't know if I've said that right, the king's chamberlain, their friend, and desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. This is a time that, that, that Luke makes a little interjection here. He kind of intercedes some, uh, interjects something here that may seem a little random, but I think I'm going to explain it for us. And it set upon a day that Herod arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne and made an oration uh, unto them. And the people gave a shout saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Luke interjects this little story. He says, let me tell you what happened to Herod. Herod went and, and, and he, he went down to Caesarea and, and he had a political meeting. He was up on a, on a platform, so to speak, a place of judgment. He began to speak to these people and they were so impressed by his speech that they decided they, they gave him uh, credit as being of deity. Now this, believe it or not, this is extremely normal in this time. Okay? I'm not trying to, 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 to get too technical here, but uh, this is extremely normal. The Greek, the Hellenistic culture is very much into the deification of humanity. They are, they are doing their dead level best in certain ways to, to make their rulers appear as if they are gods. Uh, if you go, we'll study it a little bit later, uh, a couple chapters, uh, not tonight, but we'll find a place where Paul and Silas, are, I believe it is, are accused, uh, Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, are accused of being gods, Jupiter and Mercury. Okay, And, and there's, there's reason for that. That's the culture they're in. And the, the problem is, is that God says, you'll not have any gods before me. And you're definitely not going to allow yourself to sit on the throne. You're not going, that's not, that's not of God. And so when Herod, who has already tried, who has already touched the anointed of God, who's already messed with the man of God, decides to put himself over God himself. God says, 
nah, not going to work. And immediately, Luke tells us the aftermath of that decision is for God to strike him immediately because he gave not God the glory. But, Luke says, in spite of all of that, the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname is Mark. God tells us in his word that it didn't matter how bad the persecution got. It didn't matter how crazy life got. The truth of the word of God continued forward. The word was multiplied. The disciples grew. The church was in revival no matter what. Now, I, I, I want us to understand, I think God, in the day and age that we live in, we, as the North American church, are blessed. We don't live in persecution. I mean, the, the worst thing that happens around here uh, is that people get on Facebook and say something bad about you. And that's, that's really the persecution, really. Uh, we're not hiding tonight. We're not worried about somebody knocking on the door and coming in, knocking the door down and, and shooting the pastor and arresting the saints. We're not worried about that, okay? Well, I'm thankful for that. But I, I, will, I do want to say this. That no matter how bad persecution got, whether it's in the Bible or in, in history, the church would thrive. So it doesn't matter what kind of crazy things we go through. Whether And I'm not minimizing what we go through. I'm just saying it's a little bit different than what it was in Acts. The, the result is that God's always going to have a church. He's still going to have a church. The circumstances aren't going to dictate what God does in the church. I'm loving the reports from the Ukraine right now. Our missionaries are seeing mighty moves of God in the Ukraine. In a country that's torn, ravaged by war, they're seeing God move. I'll tell you why. Because God doesn't let circumstance dictate His power. Anybody thankful for that? I'm thankful I serve a good God today. Amen. Amen. Let's continue. Again, mindful of the time, we'll go until we, until we stop. Here in chapter 13, we see a switch. At this point, up until this point, we have been really focused on the church in Jerusalem with leaders like Peter, James, and John. Now we're going to swap. The, the Bible says, now there was a church in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, and which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work Whereunto I have called them. We find here a switch that takes place. The church in Antioch begins to send missionaries. Uh, this is the first, really the first endeavor. Now, they, the, the disciples, some of the apostles did go to Samaria for a brief while, but this is the first really good switch where we see missionaries being sent out. The Holy Ghost speaks and said, Separate Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to do. And so when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They went under the commissioning of the Spirit and with the backing of the church. That's the way we ought to do it. Amen? And so they went, and they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salmas, they preached the word of God in the synagogues and the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So Barnabas and Saul leave Antioch. They bring the young man, John Mark, with them. Uh, John Mark, by the way, is the one that's going to write the, the gospel according to Mark. So keep that in your mind because it's going to be important. So they go and they start preaching. 
And it's very interesting that they didn't just stand on a street corner to preach. They actually went into the synagogues of the Jews and began to teach. Now, again, I'm, I'm trying to keep this condensed, but I, I, I need us to understand something. because Something I've learned this week. As I've studied, I've realized Christianity and Judaism were not so at odds like we think they were. Okay? When Jesus came, Jesus came as a reformer of Judaism. Now, we know he was God in flesh. But he came first to fulfill the law. Everybody with me so far? His goal as God in flesh was to save humanity by bringing Jews back to the law of Moses and fulfill said law. There were two major groups in Israel. We know them as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the, I'm going to call them the holiness movement of the Jews. They were strict adherents to the law. You've heard people say, well, don't get so Pharisaical. What they're saying is, don't be legalistic. That's what characterized the Pharisees. But at the end of the day, we paint the Pharisees as a real bad light. The Pharisees really loved the truth. They really loved the Word of God. And they, they, just, they, they, they were so entangled with the letter of the law that they didn't, use, they didn't understand the spirit of the law. Okay? The Sadducees, on the other hand, were Hellenistic Jews. They were Jews that had fallen in love with Greek and Roman culture. They were Jews by birth, and they still went to the synagogue. But in reality, they wanted to live how they wanted to live. Okay? They had their own thoughts about what it meant to be Jewish. They were there in the culture, yes, but they weren't religious people, so to speak. It's the, the Sadducees that actually had control of the temple in Jerusalem. That's why Jesus gets so mad and why he gets in such big trouble with the Sadducees because he goes in and starts throwing stuff out. Takes a whip and beats everybody and causes a big scene. That's the Sadducees. It's not until after that that the Pharisees start calling him master. They start approaching him and calling him master or rabbi, giving him a little bit more credibility because they realize eh, he's a little bit more like us. Of course, he then messed them up too because he, the, he attacked their legalistic mindset. He wanted them to understand the spirit of the law. Okay, And so all of that. So when these people who are following Christ now, they get the Holy Ghost, they're Jews. They still believe Judaism. They just want them to understand that the Jews now don't have to wait for a Messiah. They are, I'm going to say this, please don't misunderstand, they identify more with the Pharisees. So they go into synagogue like a good Jew that's got the Holy Ghost. And they go in to dispute the word. Again, synagogue, a Jewish service was not like what we have. They would go in. They would read. The rabbis would teach from portions of scripture. Men in the place would get up and read uh, the scripture. And then they would expound on it. If there was a traveling rabbi or a guest that day in the city, they would ask that individual, would you get up and you would expound on the scriptures. And so that's exactly what would happen. Paul, or Saul, who is a Pharisee, we know from, uh, from the book of Acts, he is a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He's been trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He is, he, is a, he is a diehard Jew. He just got the Holy Ghost. He goes to church, and they give him the pulpit. It's good to see Brother Paul here today. We're glad you're here. Come on. And he gets up. He opens the Bible, which is the Torah, the law, the Old Testament. He opens the Bible. He starts reading, and you know what he starts preaching? Let me tell you about Jesus. 
that sounds crazy. It would be like, it would be like me, and I'm not trying to, to, to make fun of any different denomination, but it would be like me going to, say, First Baptist and preaching. It, 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 people would kind of be like, what is he doing here? Well, that's what we think. But that's not the case here. There was a very close-knit community or close-knit idea. They were very closely related in the sense of what they... The only thing different that that Paul really preached was that Jesus fulfilled the law. Okay? So when he goes into the synagogues, uh, that when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. He goes in there to preach. And 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 in his travels, they go into the isle of Paphos, uh, and they find a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Don't get scared by that name. We're reading a Greek version or the, 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 the English translation of a Greek word, But if you would see that in the Hebrew, it's the same word as Joshua or Yeshua. Jehovah has become our salvation. Okay, that's really what Jesus would name. In reality, in the first in Jesus' day, there were a lot of people named Yeshua. Okay? So don't get this wasn't a false, uh, this wasn't, well, there's another Jesus in the Bible. Yes, there is. There's a lot of Joshua's in the Bible. But we know that the name Jesus, as depicted in Jesus, the Messiah himself, holds all power. Everybody with me so far? Okay, I hope I'm making sense. So when they see this guy, they meet this guy because he's with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Then Elamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, his correct name, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So here's what's happening. These Jews come in to meet, or these Christians come in to meet Sergius Paulus and the governor and this other Jew who doesn't want them to know truth begins to try to dissuade. He begins to argue with them. And, and, and Paul just has enough. The Bible says, then Saul, who is also called Paul, here's where we see the switch, Filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the righteous ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and shall smite thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Paul looks at this false teacher and says, You're not playing this game. And he he prophesies against him and pronounces judgment on him, full of the Holy Ghost, under the unction of the Spirit, and says, you're going to be blind, and immediately it happens. Just let me say it. Be careful. We are Holy Ghost filled. We have power. God has given us power when we're prayed up and Holy Ghost filled. We must be careful because there are times that the judgment of God is very real. The love of God is absolute. There's no greater thing than the love of God. But there comes a day where God in His holy judgment will say, Wait a minute. My word will proceed. Don't try to hinder it. God will not allow His word to be hindered. And if you ever think that his word is being hindered, watch out. Judgment's coming. Okay? 
Now, with that being said, I don't recommend if you get in an argument with somebody that you try to strike them with blindness. But that's free, okay? Make sure you're in the Holy Ghost if the Lord moves on you to do that. But notice what happens when the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. God used a sign to confirm his word. Now, I want to be, and I've said this before, especially in our leadership class over the last month. God does not use the miraculous to validate somebody's ministry. God will use the miraculous to validate his word. Okay? And as a pastor, I have to be careful. And as a saint, you have to be careful. We cannot twist the miraculous or the gifts of the Spirit in order to prove we are something. We have to allow the Word of God. God will confirm His Word. Not pastor's Word. God will confirm His Word. Amen? Well, glory. I hope that was, I hope that was good. Now, when Paul and his compa- company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia. John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. This is where we see the breakup, so to speak. This is what brings contention to Barnabas and Paul's ministry. Barnabas is 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 kin to uh, uh, to uh, John Mark. He wants to give him another chance. Paul eventually will say, no, he left us. This is the moment. The journey got too hard and John went back to Jerusalem. But then they departed from Pergamon. They came to Antioch and uh, Pisidia. Now, you say, well, they're back at Antioch. They're not. Antioch was a very known name. It was a town that I think there were 13 or 14 Antiochs throughout Asia Minor at this time. Due to the, uh, the culture, there were a lot of Antiochs. It's like, it seems like everybody's got a Paris. Antioch was the name, apparently. So, uh, so, so uh, they're in a different Antioch. They went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law, the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on... What I just uh, just explained this. They read the law, they read the scriptures, and said, Brother Saul, if you have anything you would like to preach, any word of exhortation, would you like to say something? And Brother Paul said, Absolutely. I have a word. Amen. God has given me a message. So Paul stood up, beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an high arm brought them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. Afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised up Israel a Savior, Jesus. What's he doing? He just walked them through the Old Testament law and prophets that they just read. It's amazing. Every time we find the disciples, the apostles preaching in the book of Acts, they go from they go from the Old Testament, wherever the Jews leave off, they go from that point and they get to Jesus. Amen. That's that's the only place, the only place worth going. That's the destination. We've got to get them to Jesus. 
And when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwelt at Jerusalem, and all the rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a scepter. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings. Somebody say the gospel. Declare unto you the glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. He's quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you, the sure mercies of David. What's he saying? He said, hey, I prophesied to David that his seed would reign forever. Now Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He's quoting Psalm 16 and 10 here. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. He didn't rot, in other words. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. What's he saying? He said, the law couldn't save you. But let me tell you about one that can. That's what he's saying. The law did not justify you. It condemned you. It didn't justify you. But there is one that fulfilled the law. His name is Jesus. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Paul is preaching to this, this, this synagogue. He is trying to get them to understand this is the fulfillment of the law. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. You have two groups of people. You have Jews by birth and Gentiles by birth that have become Jewish proselytes. And as the Jews are rejecting and walking out of the synagogue, shaking their head going, my Lord, that guy was full of it, wasn't he today? The Gentiles are saying, tell us more. Explain to us more. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Again, some of the Jews did believe, but the religious proselytes or the Gentiles followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Are we thankful we get to continue in grace today? Amen. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Talk about revival. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those which things were spoken, those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Okay, so the Jews are angry at what he's teaching. They are rejecting it. And this is what takes place. This is why chapter 13 is such a pivotal moment. 
Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. We see a transition take place in Paul and Barnabas. When they look at the Jews and say, we came to tell you who Jesus is. But if you're going to reject it, there is somebody that wants to hear it. Church, God forbid we cease to hear the word of God. God forbid we stop listening to the word of God. But I will also say this. There will be people, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but there will be people that will reject the word of God. And you and I are not called to convert them. We are just called to explain the word of God to them. If they reject the word of God, there I can't make you live for God. I wish I could. Oh, my Lord, I wish I could. I can't make anybody here. I can't even make my own. Now, I can right now, but ultimately, I can't make my kids live for God. They have to make a decision. We got, we've got to be mindful that we don't, we don't reject God's word. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of the coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. What the end of chapter 13 tells us is not only was there a shift, but there was an understanding or there was a, 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 something that took place. There were those that said, you know what? If you don't want it, I do. I'm going to tell you right now, there are people in this world, and sometimes you don't even realize who they are. But they will, if you don't want it, and if I don't want it, they will step in. And they'll say, I want it, just tell me. I don't like it when people, in fact, I totally disagree when people say, oh, nobody wants to live for God anymore. That's not true. I don't care how many people you see walk away from truth. There are people. You, they may be drug, uh, drugged in the gutters. They may be uh, in, in rehab right now. They may be dealing with all kinds of problems and circumstances. But I'm telling you, there are people that are hungry for the Word of God. And if we'll preach the Word... They'll receive it with all joy. Oh, this joy unspeakable and full of glory, it's for whosoever will. It's for whosoever will. So keep witnessing. Keep reaching. That's apostolic. Keep talking about the gospel. Keep telling them about the good, glad tidings that we have. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Lift your hands and let's just thank God for His Word. Lord, we love you.